Shot Tower, the real NBA fantasy NBA hybrid podcast brought to you by Jalen Utsi, Kyle Stein, and Michael Kimball. We are now in the Western Conference, and we're going to start with the Southwest Division. The Houston Rockets were the champions last year, 53-29. and 29. They made one that big... That is the champions of the Southwest Division. Yes, the champions of the Southwest Division, the champions of losing in terrible ways in the playoffs, and they made a big change this season. We're looking at Russell Westbrook in place of Chris Paul. Is this a better build than last season? Russell Westbrook will play more games, which is... All, all things considered, a pretty big something. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Westbrook will play more games. I said that I said that partially hesitating because Chris Paul actually played really well in the games he did play, and so the the only like big knock on him is that he didn't play a lot of games. Well, so we have more games with Westbrook. We have more youth. We have more speed. We have um, improbably more aggression. Um, we have less percentage. We have um, 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 possibly um, less what else. I'm not sure. Uh, what I'm wondering about is, is, is this – okay, I'm going to phrase it a different way and see if this gets us anywhere. The Houston Rockets were built to beat the Golden State Warriors. But it was a version of the Golden State Warriors that do, no longer exists. Can this Houston Rockets team win it all? I mean, I think the fact that that Golden State Warriors team doesn't exist helps the Houston Rockets. Um, I think it helps everyone, obviously. Um, the Warriors just lost Andre Iguodala and Kevin Durant. They added Kevin Durant to, you know, three Hall of Famers, essentially. So, I mean, I think the Warriors are sort of destroyed and dismantled, at least for this year. They may make the playoffs. They may not, but they won't be the same. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll answer the question with another question. So we're talking about build, right? We're talking about build with the Rockets. Are we talking regular season build or postseason build? Because I feel like there's two different answers to that question. Yeah, that's a really big point because, um, the Houston Rockets have been great, uh, in the regular season. Their metrics show that the place where they've fallen apart is the postseason, um, they've been set up to do well in the postseason, but they've had some really bad statistical breaks. The 0 for 27 from 3, uh, some injury issues that haven't allowed it to happen. So does this Houston Rockets team have enough pieces, uh, barring injury, to get us anywhere? I mean, I feel like your question was a bit leading down the path that the Rockets were so specialized that in trying to beat the Warriors that in some way they may have set themselves up now not to compete as well against the broader changes in the NBA. But I think it's worth taking into consideration the fact that the Warriors were really the only team that I think the Rockets had to worry about in the last two years in a way where um, where they had to worry about you know, where they, where they had to go in worrying that they would lose, as in that they would have an uphill climb against them. In every other team, they, I think, were favored to win, and I think that they expected to beat. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I mean, I think I agree with that, and I think the 
the build of the team, the way the team was constructed, was smart because they had to beat the Warriors to get to the finals anyways. Generally, you could you could bank on that. Um, and if you could beat the Warriors, generally speaking, uh, you know, there might be some questions about whether or not this version of the Rockets could have beaten last year's Raptors, but they won the championship, so maybe no one could have beaten last year's Raptors. But basically, if you could beat the Warriors, you probably were going to beat whoever you faced in the finals, especially um, those weaker um, Cavs teams. So, I mean, I think building to combat the Warriors was sort of building to beat the rest of the NBA all at once. Um, I think LeBron James beats the Rockets, though. That's just... I mean, I, there's that's no, where my head goes. There's, there's no way, Anthony there's no way Davis that, that beats last the Rockets. Team, but there's no way that last Cavs team beat the Rockets. They had nothing on that team. They had LeBron James. Yeah, that's it. And we saw what happened when he was playing a team that had actual pieces on it when he was the only one there. And we do forget they really did plow through the Eastern Conference. I mean, we don't have to get to that. It's but, the East, and and the, and the Rockets did beat them handily late in that spring. I remember in March. Um, or maybe it was very, very early April. Um, so, yes, I, I, I hear your point. I mean, I'm being reactionary. Like, in general, I tend to agree with you because, like, I think the I think the old Thunder, what was it, that was 2011, the 2011 Finals Heat versus the Thunder. I think the Thunder were a more talented team. They had KD, Russ, and James Harden on their team. They also had Scott Brooks, who kept playing uh, Kendrick Perkins. And now champion Serge Ibaka. But, like... I think they were probably the better team on paper, and I just had extreme confidence. I'm from Miami. I'm a Heat fan. I watched all those final series. I was insanely nervous every single time. I was just like, oh, we're beating the Thunder. LeBron beats KD every single time. Every time we played the Thunder in the regular season, the Heat played the Thunder, they won. I was just like, "Eh, I don't know why, but we're just going to win. So, I mean, in general, like I kind of agree with you when I'm thinking LeBron versus Harden. I'd prefer LeBron in that matchup, but I just – I feel like they might be overwhelmed. So, but it would have been interesting. It would have been a fun matchup. Which is we've gotten off we've gotten off track. But well, let's get back to the Westbrook replacing Chris Paul question and what Westbrook brings that Chris Paul couldn't. And I think one of the things is uh, what we'll see from the Rockets in transition. I can't imagine Westbrook not being incredibly aggressive in transition with this offense. It'll be interesting to see if that opens up other possibilities for the team. And then one of the other places I'm curious about the change is Westbrook has never played with this many shooters around him. What happens with all of that shooting? Just his sheer aggression getting into the paint and being able to kick out. What happens? Yeah. I mean, insofar as you believe, like, the talk out of Houston that there were all these problems between James Harden and Chris Paul, and Chris Paul uh, was sort of, like, taking over too many possessions and taking them away from James Harden, which is, like, maybe a fair complaint. Um, Well, now, you know, James Harden and Russell Westbrook are purported to be great friends. And as you said, Russell Westbrook is going to push in transition. Uh, James Harden pushes, and Russell Westbrook pushes even more, so they should be killer in transition. And, yeah, we've never seen Russell Westbrook with this many shooters around him. The Rockets, as we just said, you mentioned before the pod that the Rockets don't have a lot of fantasy viable options, and that's because they're basically all spot-up three-point shooters outside of their core guys of Westbrook, Harden, Tucker, uh, Capella, and Gordon. No one else can really, you know, maybe Austin Rivers a little bit, but no one else basically can put the ball on the floor and do anything with it. So I think, you know, you might see, like, a great 
can Westbrook average even more assists? I don't know. That would be crazy. But, you know, maybe Harden will be taking some of them. But, I mean, I think you're right to point out that, like, we don't really know what Westbrook in spread pick and roll with a ton of shooters looks like. I mean, that's one of the big fantasy questions is whether Westbrook can maintain his assist numbers. And I tend to think that he won't. I think that most of the fantasy projections say that he can't. Um, And that's not to say that Harden and Westbrook won't still have excellent seasons and excellent fantasy seasons, but it would be hard to to expect them to go, what were they at? 10 point, what are the exact numbers on this? For what exactly? Assist assist numbers from last year. Oh. Um, Yeah, I think Westbrook, didn't Westbrook average a triple-double again? I thought it was like 10.4, but... Um, yeah, he was a little over 10 on assists. Anyway, um, we don't need the exact number, but it's 10.7. And it, I think it would be hard for – he's not going to be running for a triple-double this time. I mean, I think the, <laughs> the one great thing about him having Harden on a team with him is that this string of triple-doubles, which honestly probably should have gotten more attention than it has, um, will end, uh, and it will end – in a way that he will be participating on a better team. Yeah, and it's, it's almost inevitable that it has to. I mean, all of the fantasy projections for Westbrook are down. Nobody's taking him in the first round this year, even as a mistake. You know, it's just not going to happen with Westbrook the way it has in the past. Um, I think we expect Harden's value to slip a little, too. Capella's, but- too. I mean, for, particularly for rebounds. He's going to take rebounds away from people. I mean, I still expect him to get rebounds, and run the break. I mean, as you yeah. were talking about. with That's one of the things they want him to do. I mean, the Rockets want that initiate. They want him getting those re- rebounds and initiating the transition. Yeah, if prior, if prior evidence is any indication, Clint Capella's rebounding percentage is going to plummet. Um, just ask Steven Adams about that. Um, <laughs> also, go out and get Steven Adams, Adams was happy to give it up, though. Will Clint Capella be as happy to do so? Definitely not, because I think Capella has incentives in his contract that pay him more for like defensive rebounding percentage and offensive rebounding percentage. So I don't know. He's gonna be like uh, DeAndre Jordan, who almost elbowed Luka Doncic to get her, to grab a rebound. It's gonna be that sort of situation. Are we no, l- I mean, I'm kidding. I don't know, but I also like I was laughing because you said we we won't see Westbrook average a triple double, which I don't expect to see. But why won't he want to go out there and do it? What was the point of doing it before? <laughs> like, I don't think anything's really changed in that department in terms of the utility of it. I guess it's true. I mean, like, <laughs> especially, I mean, if he really wants to run the break and if he has Dan Tony's license to run the break, I mean, he could get those 10. Th- I, I feel like the rebounds are the hardest of them to get for him. Yeah. Because of, yeah, they, because of his size, because of the position that he plays on the court, and because... I imagine they're going to the way that the 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 spread offense that they have is set up. He's going to have to play out on the perimeter even more than he's had to, and if he's going to get those rebounds, it means he's going to have to anticipate um, very quickly um, that the shot is going up and significantly hamper his ability to get back. I mean, in yeah. Transition, you know, there has know. been some suggestion. I can't remember where I read it, so. I'll Apologies, sports writer, I can't remember, but that 
Westbrook won't be getting anywhere near the amount of rebounds that Capella in this system will be, and Tucker will be collecting the rebounds. And what we'll see is Harden and Westbrook out on the wings ready for that outlet to attack from yeah. there. And yeah. that's what I meant is, is if he doesn't get in there and get the, the rebound having been out on the perimeter, they just won't have any outlet to get to. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say is all those things were generally the case before. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that Russell Westbrook has been, I don't know, I don't know what percentage he's hurting his team versus helping his team to get these these rebounds. But like all those things about, you know, he was he's a two, he's a two or a one, uh, he's a one, and he's out on the perimeter. He's guarding ones and twos essentially. So he's gonna he's out on the perimeter. He was out on the perimeter in OKC. And he would sometimes just abandon defensive assignments to turn his back and go towards the glass and get the rebound. So, like, none of this is new. So, I mean, I think we're getting at a question that I have, which is, like, every time stars team up, we have this conversation, there's only one ball, you know, can they make it work? You know, we had it, the big three with Wade and LeBron and Chris Bosh. We had it with Steph and KD and Clay. Um you know, even Shaq and Kobe, you know, there's sort of like a push and pull of the offense and all these sorts of things. And I think part of it is real, but I think, you know, I'm not all for old school truisms, but like Jeff Van Gundy is right. If you want to win, it might cause you, you might be forced to sacrifice. So if Russell Westbrook wants to win, he's probably going to have to sacrifice some of those rebounds. If he wants to win, he's probably going to have to focus more on defense if he wants to win, he's probably going to have to not be a statue, a literal statue, anytime he's off the ball. So let me ask you a question. Does, we, does, Russell, does Russell Westbrook want to win badly enough to do those things? I don't know. Does James Harden want to win bad enough? He's still <laughs> complaining about not winning MVP after losing to a KD-less Warriors in the playoffs. Like, I'm so sick and tired of these guys. James Harden is a phenomenal player. He's insanely good. But, but these things don't happen in a vacuum. Like... LeBron didn't want to play the four either. And Eric Spolster and Pat Riley were like, get your ass in the post and play the four and block some shots if you want to win a championship. Don't come to me. Like, I'm a fan, right? We have no, I have no athletic ability. I can't do what these guys do. And they're going to sit on TV and tell me that they want to win championships, but they can't, like, risk getting elbowed in the nose once in a while to get a rebound or play defense. Like, I don't know. I, I want to see it. I guess that's all I'm saying. I want to see it. Yeah, I think that, it's – I'm sorry, Kyle, go ahead. I was just going to say that where my mind went with all the examples that you gave of the there's only one ball, uh, you got the heat. You know, you have the LeBron James And heat. they took the ball away from Chris Bosh. And you have – well, <laughs> all, the, all the trios that you named, it worked. But there's interestingly there, – there's the example of a teammate uh, that both Westbrook and Harden had recently – um, on different teams, Imagine. actually, yeah. um, who couldn't share the ball. And it did, in fact, well, I mean, it didn't ruin his team. It ruined his own career. I mean. Um, Are we talking about Dion Waiters? Who are we talking about? Oh, we're, ta- we're talking about Carmelo. Oh. Right? Um, I mean, Carmelo was washed by the time he was he was in these situations. I think he was just bad. Like, I don't even think he was, like, hogging the ball. I think he tried to be a spot-up player in OKC. He just he didn't make shots. Skinny Mellow's not making a comeback. <laughs> I heard he dropped 25 pounds. Anybody taking no. it? No? no? I mean, well, I would have liked to so see him in, Howard. in FIBA. I would have liked to see him in, in FIBA. Yeah. They certainly needed him. 
We also need some more specific weight numbers. Everybody's losing exactly 25 pounds. <laughs> and everybody gains exactly skeptical. 20. They lose yeah. 25, they gain 20. Okay, so so okay, so <laughs> we're getting off track. I'm super Definitely. I'm super hyped. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm going on rants, but like I don't I don't know, man. I like the rant, and there's no way the Rockets get it together with those mindsets and make yeah. this team work. It's not going to happen. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Do we believe in these Rockets? I have a, I have like a twenty percent chance that Russell Westbrook's style does something to this system that somehow opens it up, breaks down other teams. That's the only chance. I mean, I think what we're all saying is we don't know about the playoffs, but like. Mike D'Antoni and James Harden, they're going to win games in the regular season. James Harden is a savant. Um, he just averaged 36 points a game. He just had a Michael Jordan-esque season. Uh, he's dominant. He's ex- insanely dominant on offense. He's going to put up points. He's going to throw his assists. The team is suited for him to play spread, pick, and roll and dish it out to, to shooters and to lob the ball to Capello. They're going to be fine, I think, in the regular season. And as we all said in the, from the beginning, Russell Westbrook should play more games than Chris Paul to start the season. Uh, throughout the regular season so that's going to help they're not going to just lose games because they're missing Chris Paul for like 15 games at a time so I mean I think they should be fine in the regular season and then the question is I mean I think maybe it just comes down to matchups you know like I, I haven't like you know dove into the numbers enough to have like some uniform or like a well-established opinion about whether or not they're going to win the championship but like it would stand to reason their team is mostly together the Warriors aren't the same um, yeah, the Lakers and the Clippers are you know, dangerous, but they've also recently been built, and typically teams take a little bit of time to figure it out. So, like, you would it would stand to reason that this is the Rockets' time. Um, I don't know. They still have would to get by the them? no. They gotta get by the Nuggets still, the Trailblazers. Oh, they'll kill the Nuggets. They'll kill the Nuggets. The, and the team Blazers I like here, the, the Utah Jazz, Jazz. You think they're gonna crush the Utah I think Jazz? Kill the Jazz, yeah. Well, let's talk about. I'll take one... the bet right now if you want to put it down. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a really important question. About, I, I, I about, might be underrating Russell Westbrook's possibility for implosions because the last time he played the Jazz, bad things happened. Mike Conley Sorry. and the Utah Jazz. <laughs> I think there's a really important question regarding their ability to beat these teams, and it has to do with their starting lineup. I think we all, and it has to do with Westbrook and Harden, I think we all expect that that they will be best if somehow – the minutes for Harden and Westbrook are staggered to some degree. Mm-hmm. And we obviously expect that they will start the game together and they will close the game together. But the lineups, the five-man lineups that they're going to have throughout the re- you know, the, over the rest of the game are going to determine whether they can beat these really deep teams, the deep teams like the Jazz, deep teams like the Nuggets, and the Clippers are very deep. Right? And when you look at and, the shallow, they're a here. shallow team. It looks yes. like, but I'm, I can believe in their ability to run with those much deeper teams because of that front end power that they have, and particularly at a position that can dictate the flow of the game, right? But I don't quite know how it shapes up in terms of putting together these, these lineups because. I don't believe in much of the team. So let's just list the starting lineup, right? So they're going to start with Russell Westbrook at the point, um, Harden at the shooting guard. Um, Most reports have Daniel House coming in um, as the small forward. We've got P.J. Tucker at power forward and Clint Capella, obviously, at center. 
After that, you've got some combination of Eric Gordon, Austin well, Rivers. You have, you, have Eric, you have Gordon as the sixth man, and then right. you have some combination of whatever's left. Yeah, I mean, I mean Austin Rivers Austin played Rivers relatively well. Fine. I was actually yeah. going to name, you know, three players that I kind of expect to come in and play, and they were Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers, and I think Tyson Chandler will probably get some backup center minutes. And beyond that, it's just Gerald Green and Tabo Cephalosha and Isaiah Hartenstein and don't forget and a bunch of Clark. people's names who I've never even actually heard of and honestly have never heard of. You've heard of Gary Clark. Not heard of William McDowell Powell White. I'll give White, you that. I'll give you that McDow- one. William McDowell White. <laughs> Anthony Bennett's also not on this team. Anthony Bennett and shout ben, out to ben William McLemore. McDowell White. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I'm I'm rooting for you. Yeah. Um, no, I mean that's a completely fair point. I feel like the Warriors Rockets rivalry over the past couple of years has been marked by the Rockets' lack of death. Has been marked by conversations about overuse for James Harden and all these sorts of things. So I think that's that that's a problem they have and it's not going away but and the Warriors were also not an extremely deep team as we saw in the finals uh last year and they still got to the finals so like yeah this is this is like the result of team building like if you want a team with a bunch of superstars on super expensive contracts then you're not going to have a lot of depth at least not for long <laughs> you know the the Raptors had it last year and then Kawhi left and now they re-signed a couple guys that re-signed Gasol, um, Lowry's still there, Siakam's still there, but Danny Green's gone. So like, I mean, I, I came know. into this, this is just the nature. This is just the nature of things. I came into this really thinking that I was bullish on the Rockets, and I'm looking at it, and I hear all the criticisms of the Lakers and their depth, and I'm like, I believe in the Lakers' depth a lot more than I believe in Why? the Rockets' depth here. Who do the Lakers have? I mean, Danny Green. I believe in Danny Green. I mean, Danny Green's a starter, so I mean, I don't, I don't think that you're going to consider him depth. But you've got. I mean, I guess Javale McGee, Jared Dudley, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Quinn Cook. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just they don't. I don't know. I mean, they're fine. I think, I think but you're like, you're looking at depth, right? So you're just looking at depth. You have Kyle Kuzma. Avery Bradley, Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard. But isn't Howard. Kyle Kuzma going to start? I doubt it. I I think that they're going to start um, Danny Green. They're going to start Danny Green, and I kind of I anticipate them putting Avery Bradley out there at some point. I think that you know, so they'll they'll put LeBron um, at the point, um, and then they'll need someone who can actually guard a point guard, and I think that will be Avery Bradley. But anyway, we're also in some way the point for this with the Rockets was that I'm coming in here really believing that I that I'm pretty high on them. And then I'm looking at their depth and I don't quite understand the, I don't understand where it comes together. I'm not sure. It they does don't have a ton together. of margin for error. That's for sure. That, I mean, that's been their problem the last few seasons. They had a margin of error that they built their team around, and they did not overcome that margin that they, of error. Are they, are they still going to try to trade Capella? 
I think it's I think it's in the works. It's in my notes here, but we're running so long, I didn't bring it up. Why yeah. are we Why are we trying to? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get the uh, we're gonna trade Capella talk. The Warriors don't exist anymore. He got so exposed in the playoffs. Yeah, but the Warriors gonna... don't exist. There's no reason for him to get run off the floor. Every anymore. other team knows how to expose him now too. Yeah, but the, every other team doesn't have KD and Steph Curry, so it's not gonna matter. Every big gets exposed in the playoffs. I don't hear the Utah Jazz trying to trade Rudy Gobert. He can't stay on the floor either. Like I don't see why we're why we're looking to trade Capella. He's on a a decent cost controlled contract. They they underpaid him. Um, he's young. He has room to grow. He's a monster for the lob game. They have no other real lob threats if he's not on the team. So they better be getting like a lob threat back and more wing depth. I don't know if I don't know which team has better depth, but I feel like the Lakers. The Lakers don't fit. The Lakers don't make sense. They have like too many people at the at the four or five position. Anthony Davis is a five. Demarcus Cousins is a five. Kyle Kuzma is a three who like can't really guard threes or fours. LeBron's basically a four nowadays. They have too many people at that position. And Jaylen, so yeah, I've got a trade. Know. I've got a trade. So the Rockets trade Clint Capella to the Knicks. For Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock, and they fill out their all-power forward team <laughs> with yet another backup, or probably in this case, starting power forward. I mean, uh, it works for the Knicks. <laughs> I, I think with that absurd point in mind, we're going to segue from the Houston Rockets' real problems to the Houston Rockets' fantasy problems. And we've already mentioned it just a bit. Um There are not many fantasy viable players here, especially if you're in a standard 12-teamer. There's a bit more in our deep league, but you're really just looking at four guys in terms of fantasy value. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Clint Capella, and Eric Gordon. Um, P.J. Tucker can work in certain builds if you don't want percentages. He'll give you your steals and rebounds and low turnovers, but is a problem in most other categories. And there just isn't much else here. It's it's curious to me, if I built a fantasy team around the values of these guys at a standard value, I don't think I would win. I would be top-heavy in the same way their real team is. I was trying to imagine drafting a whole team ever and whether it would be viable against others. Even a Warriors team from last year, I don't know if you would viably win a championship with that. I don't think you would. Your depth would be bad. Your depth would be bad, and I don't think that you would get enough of the – you wouldn't get – you just wouldn't get enough counting stats because of the depth, and I just – I also don't think you get enough defensive stats in particular. You need the sort of like specialist players for those. That's an interesting question for maybe another. We'll have time. to work that out. I yeah. don't know if it's a if it's a great analogy here, but it leads to an interesting question. It just came out of what we were talking about in a vague way. So yeah. um, I mean, I mean, I think it's odd that a team that should be or could be this good as a real NBA team shows up this poorly as fantasy relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think the point. I think the point is is head on. You know, it the team lacks a lot of depth, and not only do they lack a lot of depth, but they have a lot of specialists on their team. And I think generally they'll the specialists will be okay. But the whole thing, the 
the age of NBA basketball that the Warriors ushered in was that if you have a one-way player on your team, we are going to exploit them endlessly. If you have, if you're the Pelicans and you have Rajon Rondo on your team, don't care that you just dominated the Portland Trail Portland Trailblazers. We're not guarding Rondo. We're going to mess up your entire offense. You're screwed. If you're the Memphis Grizzlies and you've got grit and grind and Tony Allen's on the floor. Well, guess what? Andrew Bogut's guarding him. You're screwed. You're not going to score against us. We're going to run. We're going to kill you. If you're if you're the 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 Rockets, you know we're putting Clint Capella in every pick and roll. We're isoing him on KD. We're going to get him off the floor. You're in trouble. But like, I don't think that same threat is really there anymore. Um, I mean, they've got. I don't know. I feel like I'm like skeptical about the Rockets and also want to believe in the Rockets. Like. They, they don't have a lot of depth, and I'm not sure I'm, like, one who's all in on the threes over everything mantra, but, like, Eric Gordon is essentially a three now. All these, like, former two guards in the NBA are now threes, so Eric Gordon's stocky. He can guard threes. P.J. Tucker can play four or five. If the other team's playing a center, you have Clint Compella. Like, I mean, they're starting five, you would think, or their best five. We're saying Eric Gordon won't be in the starting five, but their best five, I think, I would put their best five up against anyone's best five um, in the league. So I don't know. I just want to see it. I'm just tired of all the talk. I'm tired yeah. of Rockets Twitter. Yeah. Um, win a championship or something, like, I don't know. Yeah, I want to see it too. And another team I want to see it with is the San Antonio Spurs. There are a lot of interesting pieces here. It's not clear how it's all going to work together. Um, And I guess one of the questions here is how far can Pop and the sort of uh, Pop stand-in on the court, Derek White, take this version of the Spurs? It seems entirely questionable to me. Um, I don't see a real playoff run here, but it's hard to doubt Pop. Um, I don't even know what the rotation is. Are we really starting Derek White and DeJounte Murray together? as it's been suggested, or is one of those guys coming off the bench? How do you see this rotation going? Um, so one thing I forgot to say, um, the Rockets are probably going to make a deal at the trade deadline or on the buyout market, so their team right now might not be what their team is in the future. And I feel like maybe specifically in this division, that'll be the case for a number of teams in this division. You know, the Grizzlies are probably going to trade some people. So um, just like throwing that out there as like, you know, we're, we're talking about the Rockets roster now, but it, it probably will be different. Um, as Same far with as the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. As far as as far as the Spurs. I don't know. So I feel like you're you're a fairly. Are you a Spurs fan? Would you say? I follow the Spurs. There are a lot of players you like, I like on the Spurs. Yeah, yeah. I like Derek White. I like Murray. I like Tiny Bryn Forbes. <laughs> yeah, I like I like Bryn <laughs> Forbes too. He had some some big games last year. Um, I think the Spurs' problem is they don't have a lot of shooting from their starting level um, guards. Uh, Dejounte Murray and Derek White aren't great three point shooters. Um, and they're better three-point shooters. Guys like Bryn Forms and Marco Bellinelli aren't as good on defense. They're smaller. They're less mobile. Mostly Bellinelli when it comes to mobility, but Bryn Forbes is smaller. Um, Patty Mills obviously can shoot, but again, you know, size issues there. Um, so I feel like that's the real question is um, who are they going to play? How are they going to uh, put together the lineup so that they have an adequate amount of shooting on the floor? And then also they just have – like almost too many good players uh, at the guard position. Murray, Derek White, Bryn Forbes, Patty Mills, Lonnie Walker, DeMar DeRozan. Um, 
again, he's a, basically a three now, but he also kind of played point guard for them last year. Yep. It's a lot. Yeah, I could see trades at different levels with this team. I could see DeRozan being moved. Maybe Aldrich gets moved in some package, and they move toward an actual rebuild. Um, but it's also a possibility. I've seen people talk about Pop taking this team all the way. The shooting is a huge question, but is there something with the San Antonio Spurs offense built around Pop's efficiency and the way that system runs that overcomes that? When you look at the starting five, there's no solid, solid three-point shooting. Can they get it done without that? So um, Seth Partnow, formerly of the Bucks, uh, stat person, stat geek, um, uh, no, generally cool person. Uh, now he works for The Athletic, and he has talked about how the Spurs don't turn the ball over. So they don't shoot a lot of threes, but they shoot a high percentage on the threes that they do take, and they don't turn the ball over. And that not turning the ball over is sort of, um, you know, soothing. It soothes the, the negative effects of not taking enough threes. Um, so I feel like the Spurs are the Spurs, you know. Greg Popovich coached teams. They don't turn the ball over. They don't foul, which is always drives me crazy as like a fan of opposing teams. I'm like, how do you, how does a team just not foul? Like, I don't. <laughs> this seems like a conspiracy to me, but it Coaching. happens every year. It happens Coaching. every year. The Spurs don't foul. They don't turn the ball over. So there's just like a baseline level of competency that they're gonna achieve every year. They're gonna beat the bad teams, and you know if they take enough games from the good ones, then that's how they wind up in the playoffs every year. I mean, I almost feel like there's no reason for them not to make the playoffs since they got they're getting Murray back this year. But at the same time, like, um, you know, I've been listening to like the Zach Lowe podcast and stuff. There's so many teams in the West. There's so many good teams in the West. If the Spurs are making it well, the Warriors might be in trouble or someone like the Trailblazers might be in trouble. So I don't know. What are your thoughts, Kyle? It's really tough to gauge because I think the Spurs have probably the shakiest starting lineup in the whole NBA um, in the sense that Derek White showed out at the end of last season, and I think that we expect him to be a starting point guard this year. Um, but there are any number of ways that that could go. He's a young player. Um, we haven't seen a lot. It's a very small sample size. Um, I think that everyone would understand if – he didn't end up developing the way that they wanted to, and he didn't play the whole season. Um, I, th I think it's an unlikely scenario, but it's possible. Um, DeJounte Murray's coming off an injury. He's the likely starting shooting guard. Um, he similarly has had a season under his belt as a starter, um, but is, you know, coming off an injury first, um, at a, posi a position with some... Um, some depth on the team, some other options. Um, and you could see him easily not being the starter for a couple of different reasons there. I think the Spurs would trade DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge if they had the chance. Um, I think either of them would be out if they could get any, you know, sizable return. And Jakob Pertl, um didn't, you know, wasn't the the full time starter all last season, and so I'm not sure because he didn't know the system apparently. He apparently, and apparently he played well during the playoffs. He does now because he did play well toward the end and in the playoffs. So hopefully he's carrying that through this season. But that's just really interesting because it's like the Spurs principles that we've known, you know, from 
for the 25 years that Pop has been coach um, have been predicated on some continuity of roster and and players who fit the the design of the team and I always thought that going out and getting LaMarcus was a stopgap measure. Um, he, um, especially coming off the, se- the seasons right before they got him, when they were doing the pace and space, and he, you know, he's a, a sort of you know jam up the 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 inside um, and shoot long range jumpers, and I didn't quite always see it as the best fit. And I think it's actually borne out that it wasn't entirely the best fit um, if you're actually wanting to play for a championship and DeMar DeRozan for the same um, things you're talking about Michael um, he has never been um, he's, he's never been even really an adequate um, three-point shooter um, and he's he's tried to work it into his game here and there but he he just doesn't he doesn't he doesn't take enough he doesn't hit enough and I don't know. I mean, so the question you, you do you you feel in some way to, to sort of wrap up this point. You do feel like the the Spurs seem to see the mid range jumper as a um, as sort of an under tapped into um, uh, talent pool with Lamarcus with um, DeRozan, um, but they're still paying those players like they're like you know not like there's some overlooked talent pool. Um, so I just don't quite understand where the team's getting great value here, and they're the Spurs. It seems like they would want to move on in some way to give themselves the best chances to compete at a higher level. I agree, and I think the response from the Spurs organization would be uh, that pop quote we hear from time to time, trust the infrastructure. So do we trust it? Do we still trust it? For now, I'll give it to them. It's unclear where this team will go. Um, I think a lot of the questions we were talking about in relation to the real San Antonio Spurs, to some extent, apply to the fantasy version of the San Antonio Spurs. There are a lot of questions about roles, minutes, positions. It makes some of these players a little questionable for your fantasy team. Kyle, I know you have thoughts on the Spurs and their rotations. Yeah, I mean, I hate to just go right back on what I was saying. I actually do trust um, Derek White, Dejounte, and Jakob Purtle, and it's just that you said Aldridge, you trust Jacob Poodle, what? Purtle? Jacob Puddle? That's that's who you trust? <laughs> <laughs> okay, just checking. Yeah, um, you know, I was trying to bring it up as you know they're really they're they're in that way. Um, an unsteady team. Um, you know, I I think that when I when I look at their depth chart, I'm less certain that their team will look this way throughout the course of the season than other teams, just because of because of the fit of of you know even their best players. I feel like aren't great fits for um, for I don't know where the modern NBA is going and what they might need to improve, um, but. To get to the question of fantasy, uh, I do think that um, Derek White is in for a great year. I think that it's going to be tough to buy low on him because I think a lot of people who I think a lot of people know already that he's coming on. You may and, have to overpay. Yeah, and I do. Th- I think that because of that, Dejounte Murray could be a good value pick. 
Um, I'm I still wonder, you know. So this is this is only like a dynasty league type consideration, but I know the Spurs are still high on Lonnie Walker, and I wonder what kind of run he's going to get this year. And they always seem to have that player who you didn't expect at the beginning of the season, but has been on your radar for a while because you knew the Spurs were, you know, high on him and were developing him. Who you know bubbles up to the surface we're in a deep league and Lonnie Walker is on my watch list I don't expect him to get drafted somebody in our league might take a flyer because we're in that kind of league but if he's sitting there I'm watching and you wonder what they can do with Trey Trey Lyles right yeah he's it's one of those those situations where um he hasn't been great on either the the um the Nuggets or the Jazz, um, and didn't get much playing time for it. But you just trust the player development on the Spurs so much that you you wonder if even these guys who um, who didn't make a splash there start to contribute in ways, and you can buy low on them. And so I'm at least keeping an eye on him. I mean, yeah. he he has a skill set that's pretty interesting for the fantasy game, and you you imagine that if in a sort of you know, in a perfect scenario, he could start to be a one-one-one guy. Definitely. So, um, I feel like this division um, is really interesting, and it has me thinking about a lot of big picture questions uh, as far as team building and regular season versus postseason. So, uh, when you were listing sort of the options of playing time, the playing time battles that the Spurs have, I was sort of thinking that. Maybe this is going to be the year of defense in the NBA. So we have Philly, who's huge. Um, Miami is also kind of largely big and wing-heavy and defensive-minded. And the Spurs, I mean, while it might make sense for them to start, you know, say, Bryn Forbes at the point guard and slide DeJounte Murray to the two and have Derek White come off the bench as sort of an all-purpose Mono Ginobili type player, it also might make sense for them to start both Derek White and DeJounte Murray you know, sacrifice some shooting, but just have really long, really good on-ball defenders at the two guard spots. And then you've got DeRozan, who's not a great defender, uh, but Rudy Gay is going to be fine guarding uh, fours, and LaMarcus Aldridge, LaMarcus Aldridge will be good guarding fives, especially in the Spurs system. He knows the system well now. Um, you know, basically anyone they plug into the center spot for the Spurs uh, plays their system well, and they defend well. They improved their defense in the second half of the season last year. So, I mean, I could easily see them do that. And even if they don't do that, it's just sort of interesting that there are so many teams that have this major defensive upside. Um, And then in relation, the Spurs in relation to the Rockets, you know, we were saying the Rockets don't have a lot of depth and they have this top end talent that might allow them to go far in the playoffs. But the Spurs, they have to get into the playoffs in the first place. Um, and the way in which they do that, if they do do that, will be because of their depth. So it's like, I feel like depth plays really well in the regular season and maybe isn't as important um, on a night-to-night basis in the playoffs. Your depth is going to matter in the playoffs because guys get injured. And, you know, they always say this, like, it takes all 15 guys to win a championship. You know, Big Baby Davis is going to score 15 points randomly and be drooling on the bench one night, and you're going to need that to win a championship. Or Nick Young is going to, like, guard James Harden really well, and he's going to miss a three in crunch, in crunch time, and you're going to win a championship. So you need everybody, but you don't need everybody every game in the playoffs. So it's interesting. You know, I think the Spurs have depth, and they're going to play the right way. They're going to be coached up. So I don't know. I don't know. 
I'm bad at predictions, but we should probably start putting the gun to ourselves and making predictions, maybe at the end of this, about which of these teams in the Western Conference are going to make the playoffs. All five. <laughs> All five. That's interesting. I mean, the one thing that I well, except did, the Grizz, of course. The one thing I wanted to go back and the talk Grizz about here too is just how young they are with those role, those key players. I mean, if Pirtle, if Murray, if White come on, you're talking about a core where all of them are about within two years of each other, between 23 and 25 years old right now, and. They would be then, um, you know, th- they're in a perfect position to sort of wait out this it, it sort of, I think, ill-fitting LaMarcus Aldrich and DeRozan era. And that's why they're being traded. At a moment when, yes. you know. This is a team for the two NBA years from now. also going to be at a transition. This, this is a team yeah. for two years from now. They could be incredible. But they look, might make the playoffs this year. Kyle, could you look this up while we were talking? Um, what's DeMar DeRozan's contract situation? I know he's extension eligible soon. How many years left does he have on that contract? Because I think part of the question is whether or not you extend DeMar DeRozan or whether or not you sort of ride out that contract um, and let him go into free agency. Uh, because if you extend DeMar DeRozan, then that's sort of your team uh, <laughs> for the future. Um, but yeah, the contract situations of DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are really interesting. And I don't know what the Spurs history is. I'm not extremely uh, well-versed in it. But I feel like they're a bit hesitant to make too many trades in season. I feel like they'd make their trades more in the offseason. DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay and Patty Mills all come off the books at the end of the 2020-21 season um, if all of their options are picked up. Um, the And they all have player options? I, DeRozan has a player option. Okay. Um, and the, the, the situation with um, Rudy Gay is it's just guaranteed. Okay. Um, and uh, LaMarcus Aldrich has a, has a not fully guaranteed second year. Mm, okay. At twenty-four million. So let's assume everyone picks up their option and they're back. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think it sounds like we would all we're not extending Demar Derozan, but like, I don't know. It's the Spurs. We none of us probably thought they should have traded for Demar Derozan in the first place. I mean, they didn't. They're not. They just don't have the upside. If once you trade for Demar Derozan, once Demar Derozan is on your team, then you're like topping out as like a forty-eight win team, and you're not going to win a championship essentially. Like, yeah. It's a little tough because I think DeRozan's number of twenty-seven million right now, and given his deficiencies, you know, he's he's obviously he's a really impactful offensive player. Um, but his lack of three-point shooting with the analytics trend in the NBA, I think, is going to diminish his value. And I expect that twenty-seven million is about where he could expect his ceiling to be. So he may just have incentive to pick up that player option. I think, um, you know, the, the other thing to consider with that is that he's essentially on a potentially expiring contract coming into this season mm-hmm. if he doesn't pick it up. Mm-hmm. And we know that that could be motivation to move him. Um, I don't have any scenario. I mean, I know that there's – you know, it's just just some dumb burner account on Twitter that was named after Seku Dumbuya. Um, nice. ha- had a 
um, Pistons and Spurs in in talks for DeRozan. I'm, I'm you know I, I think it's a bunch of BS, but um, but it did get me thinking. Like that's a fit that you could imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Partially because the Pistons don't make good decisions, um, and also because you can think of the connection to D- you know Dwayne Casey again. And yeah, and they're also they're expensive and bad, and Demar Derozan will keep them expensive but make them a little bit better. I mean, the yeah, I don't know what the draft they capital fill seats is. At the new, yeah, they yeah. have to fill seats at the new arena. Yeah, I don't know what the draft capital is for the Pistons, but. Um, Seku people are high on Seku although the Spurs yeah. kind of drafted their own Seku with. Um, they they kind of went out and drafted um an unexpected what was his name Samanich mm-hmm. oh Luka Samanich yeah Luka Samanich I mean kind of went out and picked up a power four that no one expected them to go after and actually was projected to go I think quite a bit later um so they may not be in the business of getting more young power forwards who are ready to you know, get into some rotation minutes, um, which I think we expect um, Dambuya to to do, but which, you know, takes away some of the draft capital that the the Pistons have, as in they don't like have, I just mean, they don't have have like like a bunch of picks. They don't have have surplus picks by any means. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I feel like their path to rebuilding is, they don't really yeah. have one. No, so that's why one. it makes sense for them to take on guys like yeah, the Rose. But then they also don't have a lot to trade off either. Yeah. Is the point? So they have to. Use they take some... on players in bad trades. That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to the Memphis Grizzlies, last year's third place team in the division with a thirty-three and forty-nine record. Are they better this year? Probably not, but. I think the other thing that'll be different here is we can no longer call them the grit and grind. What's their new nickname? <laughs> I mean, you got well grit and grind. The first place your mind goes to is shit and something, but um, I don't think they'll pick that up for their marketing <laughs> campaign. But maybe I don't know if that's kosher. All right, the one I have—it's stupid. It's alliterative. You ready? Dish and dunk. Dish and dunk. I like it. It's simple. I like it. Yeah. That that's as far as I could get. And that it's much is better than mine. That's that's Jaw and Triple J. So um I mean this is going to be one of my league pass teams this year. I can't wait to watch Triple J. <laughs> Potentially. Quadruple would be sweet, yeah. Um we're looking at a team with some great young pieces. Jaw, Triple J. Um, Brandon Clark, who showed out well. Um, what is this team going to look like? How long before they're a viable playoff team? Do we have any idea at this point? If Ja is as good as advertised at a position that can really transform a team, I think best case scenario, scenario you're looking at three years. Best, best case scenario. But point guards can really change teams fast. And they have, as, as you're mentioning, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark. And, you know, even I don't know how long Kyle Anderson's under contract and if he'd. Uh, so that was four years. Yeah. Is it, okay. Three and an option, he's, he's maybe. Good. 
you know, slow mo. Um, they, um, there's some suggestion he's coming off the bench this year, but they do have a lot of interesting pieces. Some reclamation projects. Some guys are not sure if they'll ever actually develop. Josh Jackson, Tyus Jones, Anthony Melton, um, Jalen. I know you just finished your piece for Razball on the Grizzlies. What do you think? Yeah. So I just finished my piece for on the Memphis Grizzlies for Razball. So go check that out. Um, yeah, so I have lots of thoughts about the Grizzlies. One of them, which is sort of uh, a bit in left field, but I was thinking about this today because I was listening to the Zach Lowe podcast with Kevin Arnovitz, and they were talking about, or maybe it was another podcast. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, but it was I was listening to Hawks Talk. Someone was talking about the Hawks. Oh, it was uh, Nate Duncan and a, another writer whose name I'm forgetting. Um, I was sort of wondering who has the better core. So, like, especially if we pare it down to three players. So the Hawks have... Trey Young, John Collins, and Kevin Herter. You know, whichever one. I think Kevin Herter right now is better than uh, DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, or, definitely. Um, you know, the, the kid Cam from Cam Reddish. Yeah. Uh, they're, right now, he's better than them. So, until we figure that out, I would, see it, I would say that's the Hawks three. Um, Young, Collins, and Herter versus John Morant, Triple J, and Brandon Clark. And w- once I thought about that, I was like, wait. I've been like, I feel like I've been deceived about Travis Schlenk. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's not the genius I thought he was. But I mean, also at the same time, as of right now, you'd have to say Trey Young is better than John Morant just because we haven't seen John Morant. And also, Trey Young's uh, just, Trey Young walked into the league as one of the best passers in the league. You know, his creation is just unbelievable. And presumably, he'll shoot the ball better. I mean, how good he'll shoot the ball is in doubt, I think, because his college statistics don't look like guys like Steph Curry. So maybe he gets to a more Damian Lillard level of like 37, 38% from three and never gets up into the consistently 40% from three, which makes a big difference at high volume. Um, But, I mean, I don't know, John Collins versus... Uh, Triple J, that's an interesting conversation. Collins was, I think, basically 20 and 9, so he's about to start averaging 20 and 10, which is crazy to think about. But also, uh, I think people would say that Triple J is a much better defender and has a much higher defensive ceiling. So it's a really interesting conversation. I guess what I'm trying to say is that consensus in the sort of basketball intelligentsia has been the Memphis Grizzlies killed this offseason and they like. They, they got A grades from everyone and number one rankings for everyone in this offseason. And Brandon Clark and John Moran, obviously a big part of that. Um, and the guys, and also fleecing the Golden State Warriors, they got the Warriors sent the Memphis Grizzlies a first round pick to take Andre Iguodala. Just think about that for a second. This guy won a finals MVP and they gave up a first round pick for someone to accept him. Like, what was that conversation like? Um, we want we need to get rid of Andre Iguodala. <laughs> Uh, we'll only take him if you send us a first-round pick. Sure thing. He's terrible. No problem. And like, now they're refusing to let him go until somebody else gives another, him another pick. They want another first-round pick. <laughs> I love it. Crazy. I love it, though. So we've got that core that you named, those three. What other pieces here remain part of that core? Josh Jackson, Tyus Jones, Melton. They keep Jonas on another contract after this one. Yeah, so, I mean, they've got Jonas, I think, for three more years. Kyle, you can correct me if I'm wrong about that. Um, I don't know. Josh Jackson has some off-the-court legal issues. Um, so, I don't know. They, they got him because they want to see what he looks like. If he pops, they'll certainly – I imagine they would certainly keep him around if everything works out off the court. Um, I don't expect Andre Iguodala to be on the team for the entire year. 
I wouldn't expect Jay Crowder to be on the team the entire year. Um, so, I mean, they, they have pieces to trade off. And, and this is the crazy thing as we're looking and evaluating teams. Um, the trades that they made, the trade that they made for Mike Conley to get these pieces, by getting these specific pieces, now they can trade these same pieces off for more things. It's like they're just stacking picks and assets on top of assets with one trade, essentially. So the Mike Conley trade, maybe you could, I think you would have to be happy with the, the what they got from the trade, but now oh, they're yeah. getting even more. So oh, if you yeah. think about it in that sense, they're getting a huge return on that on that deal well i have an organizational question that comes out of that a little bit they've they've reorganized their front office they've reorganized their coaching staff and they've been very vocal about it being a collaborative approach that these titles are just titles and not necessarily the roles and it would be fluid do we have any sense of what taylor jenkins's collaborative coaching style is going to bring to this team um, so I don't have a great sense for it. I'm not like a coach expert by any means, but uh, Michael Wallace on Twitter, uh, his tweet reads, a few thoughts on Grizz coaching staff announcement. My understanding is there's not a traditional hierarchy or pecking order among primary assistants, more a multifaceted and cohesive approach among multiple voices with diverse backgrounds and varying strengths. So just as you said, there's no hierarchy here. Um, this is like everyone's voice in the room matters and we're going to take it all into account. Also, I'm not sure if people know this, but they're the staff that uh, Taylor Jenkins hired is extremely diverse. Uh, they added, I think, the ninth uh, female coach in the NBA right. ranks with uh, from Notre uh, Dame, from Notre Dame, Neil Ivy, um, African American woman on the coaches bench. That's amazing. Um, they also added um, uh, Vitale Pota. How do you pronounce it? Pota Tempo Pota Penko. There you go. Um, former player. I think with the Sacramento Kings, he's going to work with the bigs. Um, they also added Brad Jones, I think, is a former jazz assistant. They added David uh, McClure, uh, guys that they coached, that coached their G League affiliate. So they have a really uh, diverse coaching staff, and I don't know exactly what that means. I think what I can say for sure is they're focused on player development um, and that they're going to be ushering in a sort of more – modern NBA style of play. They, they want to run more. They want to shoot more threes. Um, they added to their front office and their analytics team, I believe. Um, they obviously have John Hollinger, sort of like uh, creator of PER and um, game score. So they're not lacking for smarts in their front office. Um, so, I mean, maybe this is a, a huge first step. And I mean, early return suggests that it is. It suggests that they know what they're doing and they're building it from the ground up and they're making these really good process oriented moves um which is also i think something you might want to think about in comparison to someone like travis schlenk who seems to be making really aggressive moves and getting the players that he wants but maybe some of the things on the outskirts he's not doing as well um so yeah i mean that, that's that's what i would say let's talk about one other player so i'm sure you remember the debacle that was the failed trade for trevor ariza which hinged on a player named Brooks, um, which the su the Suns thought was Dylan Brooks and the, the Grizzlies thought was Marshawn Brooks. And it was because, uh, and it fell through because the Grizzlies never mentioned Dylan Brooks to anyone and they, they adamantly de denied that and had multiple team statements of that. And Twitter had a field day of jokes about the Marshawn and Dylan uh, Brooks being uh, 
mistaken for one another. Um, but the point I want to talk about is that they actually really believe in Dylan Brooks. And I don't remember the exact comparison that it was, um, but I found it really interesting. Um, so, you know, all the, the, the team, uh, team fan sites um, online where, you know, you basically just get staff writers or, or fans writing in about the team. And, you know, you can only put so much stock into it. Um, but it was interesting to me just sheerly for the height of the comparison. And I can't remember who the player was exactly, but someone compared Dylan Brooks to one of your, like, like, Paul George or or it wasn't Paul George. It wasn't. It wasn't. Or or Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller or Ola. I think it was. I think it was like a shooting guard. Like it could have been like an Ola Depot type or a Dwayne Wade type, and it it was interesting to me solely because the rest of the 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 person's writing seemed really sound to me, and so I was like, what is it about Dylan Brooks that they've seen out there? that makes them throw out this comparison to an all NBA player. And thinking about that in comparison, you know, that's just an extreme example to try to get a frame for thinking about how good Dylan Brooks might be. And you have that sort of extreme. And then you have this other debacle of a trade where, you know, Dylan Brooks is not a player on many people's radar. I don't think it required such a such a response from the Grizzlies, but it was a it was very like you are a centerpiece of our team type response, right? He is, and, yes. And so, in all the talk that we've had so far, we have this other piece that, at least within the organization, um, they're very very high on. And they they very much are. He's going to get as much run at the two as he can take, and if he's anywhere within the range of making threes at a reasonable percentage, he will continue to get that run. You, you raise an interesting point, both of you, because there are interesting things going on in that front office. And one of the other little tidbits I came across was that trade with the Suns that went through, that brought Jackson and Melton back. Jackson wasn't, the, the, the Suns wanted to get rid of Jackson. Apparently the Grizzlies don't care so much about Jackson. The piece they wanted was Melton who's a very young point guard, can't really score yet, great on D, 6'7", wingspan. They have a lot of hope for him, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I think you're speaking to the question you asked about the organization. The organization seems to be making great moves. They're, you know, they're taking a flyer on Josh Jackson. They're saying, let's get a look at him. Let's get him in our building, see what he's got. Same thing with DeAnthony Melton. Let's give him more opportunity. Maybe we, we believe in our staff. We can coach him up. Um I mean, even even uh, doing a buyout with uh, Dwight Howard saved them money. Like, basically every move they've made this summer has been great and worked out super well for them. And, Kyle, to your point, I think you're spot on. I think I actually honestly underrated Dylan Brooks in my piece for Razzball, so that's, like, fair warning for anyone reading that because he's only been in the league two seasons, and he missed – he only played in 18 games last year, so obviously his numbers are a bit skewed. Um, in year one, he played in 82 games. He's 82 games. He started in 74 of them and he shot 35% from three. So that suggests he can shoot. He shot 74% from the free throw line. So again, kind of suggests he can shoot. Obviously you would want to see that free throw percentage more around 80%, uh, but he can shoot, you know, 35% from three. I think that was his pedigree, his calling card coming out of college. 
So it's interesting. Yeah, I haven't watched him enough. I haven't watched the Grizzlies enough to say that I'm like extremely confident in him. But I do think you're right to say that they believe in him and they expect him to play well. Um, you know, I think of the people who are like under contract for a long time, I don't know if he's one of them, but it's like slow mo and the young guys basically are the only people. And I think you might very easily or soon see them add Dylan Brooks to that list. Yeah, so let's move from the, the real version of the Grizzlies to the fantasy version. Um, one of my questions, we have a rookie draft that's separate from the regular draft in our league, and this is for you, Kyle. Are you chasing John the rookie draft? I won't be able to get him, but yeah. How hard sure. are you going to chase? Um, Auction values for John are around $8, $9 right now. We're a keeper league, and a player of Jaws potential I think could be easily in the 30 to 40 dollar value range in year three um, to if he has a really great first season I mean and uh, in that sense you could easily go up to 20 25 even and it could still be worth it in years two and three it's essentially paying playing for the pot odds in poker where we're paying for his potential in the auction draft. So you can um, overbid a little bit. Jalen, you're going to chase. He's perfect for your build. Um, I don't know. I think I might be chasing Triple J, uh, but... I'll be with you. <laughs> uh, we'll, be, we'll be duking it out. Well, we should talk about some specific values for him, why he's, he's important. So he... He's a point guard who gets block numbers. That's the first thing to say. Um, he's someone who can get you sort of near um, near f- fantasy league average blocks as a point guard. And that's... But that's not why you were drafting him. That's, that's a very nice benefit. That's a, that's a nice place to start. Um, and um, obviously, you're going to get high assist numbers. You, you'll be likely to get steals. Um, he... he had good steal numbers in college, and it's usually something that translates pretty quickly over in, into the NBA, even for players who aren't necessarily good at other facets of the game. Chris Dunn. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, he's going to have plenty of chances to score, um, which I, I don't expect him to be scoring probably more than, you know, 15 points a game. Um, but he's projected to get five, six rebounds a game, too, from the point guard position. I mean, there's a, there, he's getting out-of-position stats with the blocks and those extra rebounds, and then his position stats could be massive. Yeah. Well, I start with the blocks thing, honestly, when, to only say we were talking about what high-end values you're going to go to. If I see a point guard who is going to offer me, you know, say, 0.5 blocks or fewer um, – I think that it's really hard to see them as being a truly like valuable bet going forward because of the sense that then you're really only buying into like you know your tight range of like normally accessible um, point guard values. Um, just to be up there in the range where you're a point guard getting 0.5 to one blocks a game, um, you're talking about a skill set that's um, tough to come by and in that sense is more valuable. It's a very full stat line for a rookie. Wait, you said you're not looking for guards who point guards who average 
less than 0.5 blocks a game? He's I'm saying, saying if that he I, sees wouldn't, one, I wouldn't pay a premium for them. Okay. Right? But when he sees one with more block than that, more defensive stat than that. Then it's a reason to go out and maybe pay more because of what they can offer you in the seasons as, you know, in the second and third seasons. Because it means that they're going to be providing value across the board. Well, right. and we're looking at the same thing with Triple J, though, too. So in our league, he breaks down on average to a $16, $17, $18 kind of value. In our league, he will not go for $18. He will be overpaid for because we expect him to be a keeper. Because like Ja, he has a full stat line, gets some out-of-position stats. Jalen, how high are you going to go? I'd like to know so I can know how high I have to go. <laughs> um, what, what are the prices you were saying? So I wasn't the averages right now, they're running 16, 17, 18 in that range. Um, I think... W- our league, just because of its oddities, will go higher. If you were in a standard 12 team, I'm not sure you want to go too much higher than that if it's not a keeper. Maybe 20. I mean, as I was texting in the group chat, I was looking at his summer league videos uh, before year one and some of his year one highlights, and, I mean, they're just they're just enticing, and I think he's only going to get better. So, you know, before we, before we, like, before we jump off the grizz, let me just say, so I, I feel like I'm comparing a lot of people to Trey Young. Uh, maybe it's just John Morant, but... Um, but yeah, so in comparison to, uh, Trey Young, so Trey Young shot 36%, uh, from three in college. Ja Morant also shot 36% from three in college, but Trey Young did it on 10 attempts, uh, whereas Ja Morant did it on 4.8 attempts. So I think, um, if you're expecting to, for Ja Morant to walk into the league, a lights out shooter, maybe pump the brakes on that. Um, but there is a small benefit to that because if he doesn't take a ton of them, that will help his overall efficiency. Um, and he was in his final year in college was 55.6% on twos. Uh, whereas Trey young was only 49.3% on twos. So if the, if there's a path for him to being efficient immediately, it's finishing at that same high rate on his twos and not taking too many threes and the threes that he does take, you know, being, higher than expected efficiency you know if he can shoot 34 35 percent on the low volume of threes you know you're going to be in good shape in terms of efficiency for him um and yeah i think i think obviously he has much more defensive potential than uh than trey young and i think uh as far as triple j goes i mean i think it's underrated just how he averaged 1.4 blocks already as a rookie and 13.8 points. Uh, he only averaged 4.7 rebounds, which is like a little bit surprising to me. So I think if I think maybe like expect a slower progression in the rebound category, but also he's pretty close to 15 and five already. And what's stopping him from averaging two blocks a game in a year or two? So you're just talking about really insane numbers also he shot 35.9 percent almost 36 percent in his first year uh from three so if that goes up he's shooting 38 percent potentially from three so he's helping you in every single category in the efficiency and percentage categories along with just the raw numbers so 
I mean, if you're not trying to get Triple J in your league, I'm not sure what you're doing. Which is why I'm like, if you're only willing to offer up 20, oh, yeah. you're doing you're it wrong. You're not getting him. Yeah, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> well, I haven't I looked think, at these numbers. I think so. you almost have to start at 25 to think that you're going to have a chance at him because of his value going forward. I want to say something. How high would you go, Kyle? Would you go to 30? I think I would. Yeah. 32. I mean, it, it'll really depend on how much I've you know Spent sunk elsewhere. in other players. Yeah. but. I think that in an ideal situation, I would do it because I think that he would actually um, make good on that value. If, if not, not this, this season, year, right, exactly. Because I, I, exactly. I think he's going to be around a $40 value pretty soon. And yep. if you have him at Within thir- two years, 35 easy. the following year, yeah, easy. not too bad. Um, I want to say one thing about, you know, you rightly looked a little baffled when I started talking about John Morant's 0.6 block numbers. And I realized that that's, that's a really, it's an odd way to go into talking about a player, but it says a lot about how I think about um, how you draft a fantasy basketball player. Because I didn't go and look, when, when, when you asked me that question, I go and look at his stat line, knowing a sort of broad picture about what kind of player he is. And knowing his, you know, sort of bread and butter stats in the points, rebounds, and assist categories. And kind of just getting a sense of, like, what you can expect for a rookie coming into the league. Why I don't really care about those at first, though, is because those are the stats that will attract everyone. And they're the stats that, um, that the casual fantasy basketball player... Um, you know, uh, owner will uh, will go after and target by name recognition. And uh, whenever I'm evaluating a player, I go to the stat categories that are scarce. I go to the stat categories that are overlooked. Um, and I get, go to the stat ca- categories where you can get a marginal edge. And first for me always is blocks. Blocks is the category that you can go in and corner the market on if you draft it right. And you can basically guarantee yourself that as a winning category. And it aligns really nicely with a couple of other categories, right? For me, I like, I like the way it aligns with rebounds, field goal field percentage. Goal percentage. Um, and that can get you a, a sort of like cluster of, of stats, which we can talk about in a later episode, you know, in, in terms of our builds. I mean, there are many other builds than just the sort of efficiency and counting stat builds that you might see on, you know, your major fa- fantasy basketball purveyors or that we've even talked about on here before. Um, but they all involve getting a marginal advantage on a stat category that, that will in your league be scarce. Um, and a lot of this has to be done on the fly during a draft. But it helps to go in knowing which stat categories are likely to be those. And so when I went in to talk about blocks, that was the reason. I just expect that that is a stat category also because of my keepers, that I can get a marginal advantage on other teams. And so if I target players who can help bolster that, then I do myself some favors. Yeah. I mean, I think that's extremely well said, and that's a great point. I mean, like you said, Blocks, assists, rebounds, that's going to attract everyone. And I think that lets you know a baseline level of ability, of talent, of athleticism uh, to some degree. 
Um, so if the, all those boxes are checked, then everyone is going to be there. But if you want to like decide, maybe you're picking between two players, that's when you maybe you can check on blocks and steal percentage because that also gives you some information about you know just impact plays. You know, Andrew Wiggins. Um, I think is better in fantasy than in real life. Uh, but he's just sort Definitely. of in real life. He's not really an impact player, even though he has all of this raw athleticism. Every time someone makes a comparison to uh, Draymond Green, they say, is this person the next Draymond Green? But Draymond Green had insane block and, and steal numbers in college. Um, along along those lines, John Morant averaged 1.8 steals and 0.8 blocks in his uh, final college season. Also, um, another similarity he had with Trey Young he averaged um, he averaged 5.2 turnovers per game in his final Oof. college season. So, and then Trey Young averaged 3.8 turnovers in his first uh, NBA season. So, you're probably looking at like three turnovers a game with with John Morant. So, you know, I I imagine that will go down. You know, maybe as quickly as year two. But like, if you're in a categories league, if you're in a head-to-head league, you're probably punting. Uh, turnovers if you have John Morant and one other high volume um, point guard on your roster. Right. I'm never punting turnovers, so he's not for me, but you two guys, he's perfect for your build. His one drawback isn't a drawback for either of you. So mm-hmm. um, very valuable player in that sense. There are a couple um, just sort of sneaky picks for fantasy that I think are worth mentioning. Um, they're all situational, but if you're in that standard 12 team, Yahoo League kind of thing. Kyle Anderson at the end of the draft can be a sneaky pick for lots of defensive stats. He'll hurt you on free throw percentage. Won't get many assists, but he fills it up otherwise. And then um, great streamer and or um, DFS guy at certain points, Tyus Jones for assists, steals, and low turnovers. Uh, Could be an interesting pick if he's getting the minutes. Um, that would be probably with Ja out, but um, somebody to keep an eye on in that sense. Yeah, Tyus Jones, also another steel guy, um, big steals guy. And um, Jonas Valanciunas uh, is just going to put up numbers. He's going to get all the playing time he wants. I think he was like somewhere around 17 and 10 with his time uh, with the Grizzlies last year. Once 20 he was and 9, maybe? Like it was, yeah, it was it was high. Um, it, it was high on that last end, and they sort of expect that con- to, to continue. Gonna... I didn't mention it on our pod just for selfish reasons. He's already keepered in our league, so I wasn't really considering him. But, <laughs> but yes, tremendous value uh, in, yeah. in the standard center way. Yeah, you're right. Oh, he was 19 keepered? and I think uh, Smooks got him, yeah. Oh, and, and is keeping him. That makes sense. So he was 19 and 9 I was gonna say, and I think 10.7 rebounds I w- once he I got I think he'll traded. be the single season best Grizzly for fantasy. Um, if you're, you know, so if you're in a redraft league, the best player to look at right now for this season, I think, is JV. I'm going to go with Jaron Jackson. All right. We'll see. Yep. <laughs> I, th- I think JV is going to put near 20 points a game. Yeah. Yeah. I good, think good just the raw numbers, numbers would just be so yeah. Jaron so Jackson is so much older than his 20 years age that, 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 I don't know. There could be something special from him this year. He just works in every build. I mean, that's the thing, I think. There's yeah. no build in which he doesn't yeah. work. Definitely. All right. Um, our next team also fill full of a lot of new players, the New Orleans Pelicans. They were 33 and 49 last year as well. They are returning one person from the top seven in the rotation. Jeru Holiday, 
the next six all came over in trades or the draft. What happens with this team? Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we talked about uncertainty when we were dealing with the Spurs and they had a ton of continuity. Um, (laughs) First of all, they're going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to be watching them. Yeah, um, I was not one of the like Zion Cam folks. Um, I I mean, this is mainly <laughs> Zion Cam is weird. Th- this that is ma- a weird thing. I'm I'm not a Duke fan. That's part of it. I'm Nor also I. just not for um for for some interesting um sort of political reasons. Not a huge fan of NCAA basketball. We can talk about that some other time. But yeah, yeah. Zion Cam is just insane exploitation. Just blatant exploitation. Like, no, we're not going to pay you, but we're going to dedicate a whole cam to you. But yeah. you, you're not getting any of this money. And that's just the beginning of my yeah. political considerations of, of NCAA basketball. And a lot of it has to do with the fandom of it, too. Um, but that said, um, I do like Zion. And he put up some, you know, I just want to go straight into talking to a little bit of fantasy with this. He put up great defensive stats in college. And... Looks like he can come right in and be an impact fantasy player and an impact NBA NBA player, and I'm interested to see what you know the new, the the Lakers um, as Pelicans can do. Um, <laughs> I like Lonzo Ball. Um, I still think that. I still think that he was a bit underrated. His um, his three-point shooting numbers were not as bad as what people thought they were. In fact, they were better than LeBron James's numbers in the same seasons of, you know, in the same years of his early career. Um, and, of course, it's going to really be a, con- a consideration of whether he is healthy. Um, but, um, yeah, I... You don't have any worries about those college defensive stats rolling into the NBA. For Zion. For Zion, specifically. I don't. I think that he will. I think he – I can see the the question about blocks potentially um, where he'll have so much more size around him and he he just may not be able to get up there. And so, you know, he's not going to – players don't put up the same defensive stat numbers that they did in college, but – they can often be. Um, they can often project um, the possibility of getting them in the NBA and building up to you know similar numbers when their usage goes up and their you know feel for the game um, comes of age. Um, I mean, his, why do you doubt it? That's in, I, I'd be his, interested his to know. College, that. His college, his uh, college defense. Well, I don't know what the advanced metrics say, but the the you know the raw steals and yeah. block numbers are good. He averaged two point one steals and one point eight blocks. That's pretty good. It's not like yeah. crazy, but it's good. No, it's good. And 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 you know, Monster's projecting him out to one point eight on steals and one four on blocks, so a little less. Um, my question, I, I saw Zion. You know, it, it, it's interesting. We're anti-Celtics and and we're also anti-Duke. Um, I watched one. I, I watched one half of one college game <laughs> last year, and it was an early season game between Duke and Gonzaga. And I watched Zion get pushed around by Gonzaga. Like, mm-hmm. it was not impressive. And so, 
that's what that's all I have to go on. I saw a couple big bodies, Brandon Clark and uh, Hachimura, get into him, and he was a lot less effective. They lost that game. Yeah, I mean, so as we would tell every soon-to-be-fired scout, um, don't don't make <laughs> your, your lottery picks based on one college tournament that you go to at the beginning of season <laughs> yep. in Hawaii when maybe you had too much to drink the night before or something like that. Definitely um, true. But, I mean, that's a fair point. I think Zion is, you know, it's almost like tweeners don't exist in the NBA anymore because there's so much positional diversity and fluidity with the positions. But, like, I think the bigger you are, the more that like you that tweenerness can be a bad thing, specifically if you're not a shooter. And so I think the tweenerness can be an issue. I mean, Zion didn't look great in summer league when he went up against Mitchell Robinson, who is a legitimately sized center sized player and like and just amazing, amazing uh, shot blocker. And he got his shot blocked a couple times. So I think I'm more worried about his size issues on the offensive end than the defensive end because I feel like he's going to be in a system with a – he's going to play with a center usually. Yeah. And when he doesn't, you know, I think they'll just be flying around and it'll just be more of a frantic, uh, you know, try to create havoc and turnover system, which he'll be able to thrive in. And I trust his ability to guard down also. His, his foot – his foot speed and lateral quickness, I think, will play well in guarding twos and threes. And, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say ones without seeing it, but, you know, maybe in the future. So I guess that's what I would say. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because, you know, when, when you're talking about tweener players, the ideal is that you get a sort of Draymond Green. Yeah. And, and one of the disadvantages that Zion has is that he really didn't put up assist numbers. Um, he wasn't um, he wasn't a great distributor in this. You know, he got fewer assists in college than he did steals. And um, Draymond at Michigan State was the de facto point guard um, for that senior season and won Big Ten Player of the Year. Um, and uh, yeah, so he'd already sort of shown that capability and. Yeah, it, like that may be a reasonable concern um, that he's going to have to find way to get pressure off him, right? To to you know, Draymond's passing ability opens up his shooting. It opens, you know, it also helps that everybody on the Warriors passes so well that they can swing it around so quickly that um, that they can just always find open shots. And Draymond finds that most of his shots that he does take are open. Um, but I think that also started in a certain way with his ability to distribute the ball, right? And uh, you wonder what kind of pressure release Zion might have for um, for NBA defenses. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a fair point that I don't think he's the playmaker that Draymond Green is. I think the playmaking ability that Draymond possesses, it – helps him on defense like his ability to read on offense read the game on offense is also uh what allows him to like get there early get to a spot early and block a shot or get to a spot early and take a charge or uh dissuade an offensive player from taking a shot you know he reads the game so well um and i just think i don't know it's hard to predict and project if other players are going to have that capability obviously lebron has that sort of capability the best players in the world have that capability but it's hard to project 
um, whether or not Zion will have that capability. But it's interesting that you bring up Draymond Green because I think the low-end version, the the floor for Zion, I think, is Draymond Green. Because they're equally sized. I think they're both about 6'7". Um, Zion, I think, is a much better athlete, just pure athlete in terms of foot speed, lateral quickness, yeah. uh, jumping ability, those you know eye-catching things that we think of as athleticism. I don't know how long his arms are, so I can't tell you if how that's going to factor in. Draymond has extremely long arms. Um, but I think the defensive impact, like I think if Zion, if we were like we were coaching the Pelicans, I would say be Draymond Green this year. And that's it. Just like grab and go. If you get the rebound, grab it and go push it in transition. Look for your, your own shot. Look for to pass to others. Um, you know, be the roll guy in the half court when we're running pick and roll, catch lobs. Uh, if you catch it in the middle of the court, you're not like a lumbering center. You know, you can see the most obvious passes right in front of you in either corner, I think. Um, so I think that's what I would say on the low end. Zion can be uh, Draymond Green. And on the high end, obviously, you're hoping for something like, I don't know, LeBron, which might not be realistic. But I think I think the reason that I don't have too many doubts about Zion is that his player comps, both on the high end and the low end, especially on the low end, make sense. So, and they're also good. It's not like the low end is yeah, like, I yeah, don't know, right. someone who's out of the league in two no, years. It's a very high floor. Yeah. So um, one of the interesting things to me is all of the pieces they did bring over this season. So I don't want to talk about the old guys, which I'm even going to include Holiday in. But we have Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion, uh, Josh Hart, uh, Jaleel Okafor, still just 23 years old. Um Frank Jackson, Jackson Hayes, Alexander Walker, Kenrick Williams, a lot of young guys. Which pieces actually become part of this core here? We're going to assume Zion. Who after that? That's a good question. Um, the only negative, I think, for the, the Pelicans about all of the pieces that they have is the fact that some of these pieces, um, their checks, their bills are going to be coming due soon. I think Brandon Ingram is due for an extension maybe after this year. Uh, Lonzo's not too far behind him. Josh Hart's not going to be too far behind him. So the only downside to having all these young, exciting pieces is that they're going to actually have to start paying them like young, exciting pieces. So you won't get, I don't know, 15 to 18 points from Brandon Ingram on the cheap anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> but... Who will be a part of the core? Obviously, Zion. Lonzo? I think Lonzo. I mean, I'm a Lonzo believer. Um, like Kyle, I like Lonzo's game. I mean, I think he's got this preternatural ability to make passes. Playing in this run-and-gun system since he was like 8 years old or 12 years old, those outlet passes he makes are amazing. Um, I mean, he's a limited offensive player. You know, he's not a great shooter. He's not even really a great creator in terms of like – driving by guys and putting pressure on the defense, but they're going to run, they're going to scramble, and that's going to be a great system for him to play in. So I don't know. I, I kinda, love his defense in that scheme. Yeah. I mean, he's a great defender. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like as a out-of-left-field pick, Nikhil Alexander-Walker will definitely be a part of the core because he's going to be cheaper and he's going to give you a lot of production on the cheap. So it's almost like I feel like Lonzo – I almost want to say Lonzo and Ingram will be there, but maybe one of them won't. I, w I would think the more rational uh, choice would be that one of them won't be a part of it. But I think 
if I had to make a bet, Nikhil Alexander Walker will be a part of it, and Jackson Hayes will be a part of it because bigs take a while to figure it out, and they're going to want to see that you know that sort of athleticism. They're not going to want to throw away uh, too quickly. I mean, Damian Jones, they they picked up Damian Jones' option even though he had shown nothing uh, in like his three years with the Warriors. So. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I see this as a defensive team, and so I see those the same three guys you mentioned: Alexander Walker, Hayes, and Ball. For the same reason, I'm seeing Ingram is not part of that. I think I see them letting him go unless he does finally make that jump this season. Um, but since we've been talking about Lonzo, Jalen, I have to ask you, Lamelo, he's tearing up the NBA, NBL in Australia. I've seen suggestions of him being a top five pick in the next draft. What do you think? I mean, I don't know if I'm completely prepared to say this, but I'm starting to feel like he's going to be better than Lonzo. Um, so Lonzo a is... A lot of people are right Lonzo's, now. <laughs> Lonzo's a better athlete, for sure. He, there's no doubt about that. He's a better leaper. I think he's got he's faster. He's quicker. Uh, that goes without saying. But I think LaMelo's a better, probably like a better ball handler creator. And I think LaMelo has better touch. So... I think he's still going to have to continue to improve his jump shot and his jump shooting form, but he's the reports are he's starting to shoot it a lot better. Um, and he's been playing as the youngest guy on the team his entire life. He's had this big baller brand uh, target on his back his entire life. He goes to the Drew. Everyone wants to take his head off. He goes to Lithuania. Everyone wants to take his head off. He's playing. He's like a 13 and a half year old playing on varsity in high school. And they win and they win a state title with his two brothers. I just think that all of that, you know, Lonzo was the first one. He knocked down the door. He's the one I think. I don't know. He seems the one who has to deal with the worst parts of LeVar the most. Yep. And LaMelo is just kind of in the background, like being himself. Yep. And like, I feel like he's just developing and getting better. And I think all of that's going to pay off in terms of his ability to be a star in the NBA. And I think that touch is underrated. So I don't think he's got the shooting form, but he makes a lot of floaters and he counts on those floaters. And that's an indication that he's got really good touch and that should translate to his shooting. So I mean, I've been a I've been a Lamelo fan since day one. I mean, I I really hope he makes it. I hope he gets a fair shot to make it. First of all, I hope Lavar doesn't do anything dumb to mess it up. I hope he doesn't make any bad decisions himself to mess anything up. So I would I would really like to see him get a fair shot and see what he can do it, in the league. It does seem as if um, Lavar is staying out of the way. Lamelo has his own camp in Australia. They're looking at shoe deals right now, and BBB is not one of them. Yeah, yeah. Which is like I don't know why that's the case. Maybe maybe Lamelo is just like telling Lavar off or something, and he's putting up more resistance than Lonzo. You know, it might be like a first. The uh, rebellious first child later, sort of yeah. Versus like a younger, you know, the younger, the younger ones are always more rebellious. There's and a like birth carefree. order thing yeah. happening here. So that that could be it. I I really don't know, but also I guess to say there's some fun sort of off the court points here about the Pelicans. Like people, oh, yeah. people who are like people just hate Lavar. I'm like I don't hate Lavar. It's okay. He's he's loud and he's black. It, that that's not an inherently bad thing. People just it's fine. Sometimes people are loud. <laughs> of any color or ethnicity uh, and they have a lot of personality and sometimes they're ego driven as I think it's we have enough evidence to say that about LeVar <laughs> definitely but you know it's it's okay like on those merits alone I don't have a problem with LeVar as far as like promoting your company over the health of your son's ankles you know that's a real problem you know maybe the people you decide to get in business with who end up stealing from you that sort of thing is a problem but everything else like LeVar being loud and that sort of stuff and like 
promoting his kids is, you know, he's made a lot of mistakes, but I don't think that was necessarily one of them. Yeah, we've seen a lot of um, parents of young athletes be criticized for all sorts of things, but I think we need to give them a lot of credit for getting those kids there. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, hopefully, hopefully he's learned, you know, hopefully what we're seeing, you know, he's Lamelo turning up the, in, turn, turning, uh, you know, killing the NBL and LeVar staying out of the way, not coming to practices, yeah. not talking to the coaches, having his own trainer and mentor there. Hopefully he's learned from the lessons with Lonzo and Leangelo. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah growth. That's all we can hope and expect from people. So um, I just want to throw in one last fantasy note um, before we move on to the Dallas Mavericks. And it's if you remember Josh Hart being a viable fantasy player last year, forget about it. Do not draft him. (laughs) Yeah, there is a ton, a ton of depth on this team. There are so many players. I have no idea what this team is going to look like. But as Kyle said, they're going to be fun. And I think they're another team you can add to the the defense list, the the year of defense in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, if you have Drew Holiday, um, Derek Favors, especially if you're going to ask if Derek Favors can play the five instead of the four, um, you know, if Lonzo Ball's a good on-ball defender, Josh Hart's not bad. I mean, Zion Williamson's not bad. Like, I think they're going to be really good on defense. It's going to be fun to watch. Also fun to watch, the Dallas Mavericks and their newish big two. Uh, Dirk is gone. Luka has definitely arrived. Zing is buffed up. What is it? 25 pounds? No, 20 pounds. 20 pounds of muscle on Zing. <laughs> uh, we've seen him flexing on social media. How far can this big two go? I'm still thinking about whether the Pelicans can make the playoffs. I mean, we don't have to jump to the next team. The Pelicans are a ton of fun to talk about. I'll talk about LaMelo all day. No, I mean, let me let me jump into it. But I do, as I was sitting there, I was looking at the, the depth chart for the Pelicans. I really had to talk myself out of being hopeful for them making the playoffs. I'm hopeful. I'm like, they have a little bit of everything. And they have so many different ways that they can run out lineups, and they just seem like such a flexible um, and you know multifaceted team. And they're young; they're all new together. They could gel in really interesting ways. They could even maybe take over Michael, um, the the Brooklyn Nets sort of um, you know yeah. team chemistry. Yeah. Um, banner I mean, for the I NBA think Drew Holiday running this team and taking that that you know primary role I love him doing that and these young guys playing behind him like this team could go a ways I love him as a 7-8 seed uh in the west I would love to see that happen I see that happening before I see the Mavericks getting there as much as we want to talk about the wondrousness of Luca and uh Chris Stapps um well 538 projects them as the eighth best team in the West. Really? Yeah. Five thirty eight projects from this division is pretty interesting to talk about in this regard because they project the Rockets as the best team. Um, you know, all of this is in some way sure. based on prior play, so that's how it happens. But um but it also takes into account, you know, roster changes. So Rockets are projected as the number one team. We've got the Mavericks coming in as the seventh best, um, the Pelicans as the eighth, um, 
and the Spurs are way, way down at uh, whatever that would be, fourth from the last. Wow. Even 538 doesn't trust Pop. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean. 538 doesn't trust the infrastructure. Maybe we start to talk about the Mavs in in that perspective. About All right. being potentially the seventh best team in the West, making the playoffs um, as a road team playing against the second seeded, maybe at that point, Clippers. Okay, so what do the Mavs have to do, have to do? What do their players have to do and look like this season for them to be the seventh best team in the West? Zing has to be healthy. DeLon Wright has to adjust to his starting point guard role there and his low usage. He's, he's going to be used as defense a lot, as a defensive, um, you know, playing the playing defense against the best player on the other team. We're going to see that a lot. Um, there's some worries, uh, in my view, at the center position. Dwight Powell. I have a, I've always had hope for Dwight Powell uh, following him on my fantasy watch list. I've never seen him quite get there. He did show up at the end of last season, but I don't know if that's enough. There are a lot of weird pieces on this team that I don't have a ton of confidence in. Yeah. Um, the Mavericks are an odd mix of um, the two team types we've been talking about tonight. Um they have a solid start. Good and bad. <laughs> no, they have a solid <laughs> starting lineup, but it's not elite, um, and they don't have necessarily um, the depth or strength uh, in the back end of their roster that, say, the Pelicans or the Spurs have. So they're sort of like this awkward mix. Like Luka Don Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, um, you can put them right up there with probably any two players on the Pelicans or the Spurs, as far as like. Maybe Drew's better than Luka at this exact moment. Maybe not, depending on how much you rate defense. Um, maybe LaMarcus Aldridge is better than KP because he's just healthy and he's been producing at an all-star level for the past couple of years. But it's certainly a fair conversation to put those two players as two of the best players in sort of those three teams. And yet, um, you know, Seth Curry uh, is back in Dallas um, on a bigger contract. Uh, is his usage going to go up? Is he going to be able to do more than just be a spot-up shooter? Is he going to be able to create it, create his own shot a little bit? Um, Maxi Cleaver, um, they're kind of counting on him a fair amount to be, you know, a four and a five and a productive four and a five. Um, and not just like a nice story, you know, someone who produces in limited minutes. Uh, Dwight Powell as the starting center, as you said, is a bit scary. Um, I don't know. I also kind of feel like is KP's best position to play center. I don't know. Yeah, Dwight Powell was that, that signing was perplexing to me. He didn't seem to show enough to warrant a four-year contract. And it's I, just I, those last twenty-five games, really. I didn't. I didn't quite understand. I mean, I know, understand his athleticism, and I know what they see in him. And I guess Carlisle must. I mean. You get a certain level of efficiency. He's going to get some rebounds. He's going to get some other defensive stats. He's going to be low in turnovers. But this is a guy who's sort of a borderline fan or had been a borderline fantasy guy. Now he's viable. Um, he's one of those guys, when I see him on the court, it doesn't look like it's happening. He doesn't look like he's making his team better, stopping anybody, getting by anybody. It just doesn't look like it's happening. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple universal laws with Rick Carlisle coach teams. It's that J.J. Barea has to be on the team, um, and you need a rim-running, lob-catching big, and so I guess that's what Dwight Powell is. Um, I don't know if you have it up, Kyle, but what is Dwight Powell's contract situation like, especially in comparison to someone like Dwayne Dedman, who just signed a deal and probably is a better player than Powell who can do both the rim running and the three-point shooting? Um, So, I mean, yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking. I feel like also Dwight Powell had this whole thing where he, like, opted out and then re-signed in instead of just, like, taking the, the year he had left on his contract and people were like, oh, no, he's going to sign. We know he's going to sign back. Don't t- don't think anything of this opt-out, which he did. But I think the money-wise wasn't great for the Mavs. Uh, Dwight Powell is on a four-year contract between $10 million and $11 million, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dwayne Dedman is on a three-year contract at $13.3 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would you prefer in, with Dwayne, those contract numbers? Dedman. Yeah, same. Basketball Monster prefers... Dwight Powell. Why? They're often right. Efficiency, I think. But that's an I think it's, uh, the efficiency. I think is driving that ranking there. Um, Powell just has it, and Deadman doesn't as well. So I think it's there, but I think it's a stat line difference more so than a actual uh, in-game on-court yeah. difference. Yeah. Yeah. This this team kind of feels like a Portland Trailblazers team in a lot of ways. Well, first of all, Seth Curry. That's really on the team. mean, Jalen. <laughs> well, first of all, Seth Curry's on the team. Second of all, like True. I don't know. Like I could see them outperforming what their roster looks like. They have a lot of like Dorian Finney-Smith is a good player. He's good at he's good on defense. He gives you a little bit of everything. Seth Curry's a great shooter. Um, and like surprisingly feisty, especially when he's guarding his brother. I don't know how good he's guarding anyone else, but he did a great job guarding his brother. Um, Jalen Brunson's a nice piece, you know, showed well for his rookie year. Yeah. And like, I don't know, the the smarter smarter people than me are high on the Mavs this year. I f- almost feel myself saying there's no way they're going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, but I mean, Luka was amazing last year. Yeah. Like he was carrying them before injuries and before they sort of, shut it down for the year but also 25 pounds yeah this is (laughs) predictions are hard that that's my opinion predictions are hard this is just a messy team when i look at it i don't love the center position i don't love curry as a backup i don't love hardaway i mean they're fine as backups but i don't love these players i don't see you know justin jackson as the three yeah i mean what tim hardaway jr and justin jackson are like they're not – like, one of them starting. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting looking at them in connection with the Rockets, though, because, sure, the Rockets have such front-end talent and can run out a best five as good as anybody in the league, but then they drop off, and they almost, at least from the looks of it, don't have very many even playable players unless people, you know, show up in ways that we don't expect right now. But you can look down the Mavs lineup and you're like, I don't know, maybe 12 players on the team are are like capable of playing in the NBA this season. Well, and, um, you know, that's, again, considerable flexibility. Yeah, I think they can win some games because the other thing here and this uh, um, I'm assuming this is another Carlisle truism. Uh, but tell me I'm wrong, Jalen, if I am. We're going to see a second unit here. 
like a whole second unit that's going to come out and do something and be better than almost every other second unit. Yeah, J.J. Barea tore his Achilles, but he's just going to put it in holy water, and he's going to be, you know, punkin' fools in the second unit, just as always. Is Brunson Uh, that guy, though, now? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I think that Brunson might be that guy now. Yeah. But, I mean, Barea was, like, had a crazy efficient numbers last year when he was healthy. Yeah, they were awesome, right. I mean, yeah, it, he he can't perform with when he's with any other team or coach. But if he's on a Rick Carlisle team, he's gonna produce for you. So I, I think you're right. That is definitely a Carlisle truism. It's sort of like the Spurs. The Spurs second unit always comes in and just zips the ball around and and they do their thing. And I think it's the same with the Mavs. Let me predict the second unit lineup because I think that you'll you'll find that it sounds pretty good. Um, you'll have a point guard, Brunson. You're gonna have Curry. Seth Curry at the shooting guard. You'll have Dorian Finney-Smith as a small forward. Oh, gosh, I didn't even put in Tim Hardaway Jr. yet. I mean, like, you, you put Not him in. Not everybody wants to put him in. He's, no, that's I mean, interesting. he's behind yeah. Curry, though. He's going to be behind Curry, without a doubt. But you probably figure that he'll then come in as a small forward in front of Dorian Finney-Smith. Probably. And More shooting. Have, and then you have Kleba. Yep. And then you have Boban. As a starting center. I mean, as a, He'll as get a his 10 minutes center. a game. His right. very efficient 10 minutes a game. That's an interesting little lineup. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you slide if you slide Finney Smith to the three and Kleva to the four and Boban to the five, Kleva yeah. and Boban, you're not scoring much on the inside with those two guys at the rim. Um, but you're and also Kleber not. Kleva can shoot. Yeah, but the but Dorian Finney-Smith maybe isn't a good enough shooter to warrant playing a three. But you also have Seth Curry and Jalen Brunson in the lineup, so maybe you don't need Tim Hardaway's shooting at the three. So, I mean, you're right. You're right. I mean, that that lineup is interesting. And I'm kind of like – I feel like I'm kind of all in on Kleba. I had him for a couple weeks last year in the season. I don't know. He's got a cool name. He's fun. He shoots threes. He blocks shots. He has, like, I think a really high block percentage for his minutes played. So, Do we think the yeah, reason definitely. that – um, Tim Hardaway doesn't start is because he would take shots away from players who are better shooters and is a defensive liability. Yes. That's the main reason. Yes. Because, Those are the you two know, main he, reasons. He obviously showed that he can really put up shooting numbers. He wasn't a great fit there, though. If you look at what he did at the end of last season there, it's nothing notable. Yeah. So what do we think the starting lineup's going to be then? Who do we think is going to start? I mean, DeLon Wright and Luka, uh, KP, is going to be in the starting lineup somewhere. I think Powell's the five. Um, Monster has Jackson at the three. I could also see Dorian Finney-Smith being the starting three on limited minutes, the same way they have Justin Jackson, you know, a 20-minute kind of guy who starts the first quarter and third quarter. That's the reason why I asked the question about Hardaway was because I – I, yeah. just, I just think he's better than Justin Jackson, and I I might you know, might lean toward Dorian Finney-Smith being better than him too. I mean, of course, at that at that point, you're talking about fit, but you're talking about fit. In my mind, they're all sort of marginal values. You shouldn't be drafting any of them for your fantasy team. It's just sort of whatever other guy the <laughs> Mavericks have to slot in. What's the story with KP in our league? He's not draftable. He's not draftable. Who hasn't? Wait, well, not that was keeperable. The, that was the whole point. No one, no, as, yes, I'm sorry. He's not keeperable. As in, someone couldn't pick him up off the free agent list no l- last year and then keep him for a flat $5 this mm-hmm. year. He has to r- go through an auction draft. Oh, okay. So he is draftable. Yeah. He's draftable yeah. and he's keepable after this. He just wasn't keepable yeah. going into this. Got it. Got it. 
Yeah, just League, all, league all commissioner, the, Kyle. Yeah, all <laughs> values have to be set by an auction. And so um, if a player like DeMarcus or KP are out for a whole season then you know and go undrafted, then they can't come in the next year as keepers. Makes sense. But you can, for instance, take a player like Michael Porter Jr. right now, um, say he doesn't get drafted this year, you can pick him up. And he will just be. As Kyle picked him up at the end yeah. of last year for $0 off the waiver wire with the idea of him being keepable. And I want to call out one thing to you, Kyle, about it. He is a bit of a darling rookie of the year pick I now. At, I think if you lay down 100 bucks, you win 1600 So think about it. Yeah. I mean, believe me, I... I've still considered keeping him as just a, a big gamble um, if if some of my other players didn't really come through. But I've got a solid five, group of five that would be hard to slot him into. Yeah, yeah. Um, any other fantasy thoughts for this team? Uh, we're, we're, uh, I see some value in DeLon Wright for any team. Uh, Doncic, Porzingis, they're going to produce – there are a bunch of guys I'm going to stay away from. Jackson, Hardaway, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson, all who had value last year. Um, Dwight Powell, I've seen a lot of sites high on him. I'm a little worried about that one. It's a weird team for fantasy. Make sure they fit your build. I'd draft Powell. Even as much as I thought that he wasn't a good signing for them necessarily, I think that he... He fills enough holes. My uh, truthful analysis here is that I will also be drafting Powell. I was just trying to throw you two guys <laughs> off. <laughs> wow. At least I'm honest. Um, I am ultimately. I'm just playing a game here. Um, so before we <laughs> before we sign off, as they say, a um, couple quick thoughts. Well, they don't have to be quick thoughts if people want to go into them more, but yeah. uh, Lonzo Ball shot 41.7% from three last – sorry, 41.7% from the free throw line last year, <laughs> not the three-point line. Um, so I guess this is what I'm factoring into my evaluation of Lonzo versus LaMelo and also just uh, Lonzo as a viable player in the real NBA and fantasy NBA um, he's got to bring that free throw percentage up because that will allow him to be more aggressive driving to the basket and drawing fouls. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like a Ben Simmons thing. It's almost like more important that these guys make their free throws as opposed to start shooting threes. Uh, because if they can master the art of foul drawing and just be aggressive going to the rim where they're better anyways, it will work out better. So that's like a big picture thing. And then another big picture thing, uh, I'm going to put up, pull up the stats now. But I was looking at the list of, I was looking at the list of pull-up shooting percentages for teams, and the list looks like a lot of playoff teams. So, uh, two-point percentage on pull-ups. The team with the best percentage was the Warriors. That makes sense. They have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Next was the Portland Trailblazers. They have Dame and CJ. Next was the San Antonio Spurs. They have Rudy Gay and Demar Derozan. Uh, next was the Charlotte Hornets. I think that's mostly Kemba. Uh, then there was the Clippers. Then it was the Nuggets. And then the Rockets. Then the Raptors and the Suns and the Celtics. Basically, what I'm saying is if your team 
is shooting a high percentage on pull-ups, it seems to bode well for uh, your ability to make the playoffs and do well in the playoffs. And obviously this is misleading because people who shoot well on pull-ups are really good and the best players in the league generally. Uh, They're the ones best able to create their own shot. But I think the pull-up three is the shot that has remade the NBA. You know, it's the Steph Curry shot. It's when Victor Oladipo was at his height, he was making the pull-up three. Um, it The shot itself is James Harden's biggest weapon. It going in isn't even the weapon necessarily. Like, if you look at ESPN's article on best shooters of the decade, uh, James Harden is basically at average or below average from every area on the court, and yet it's the volume. He gets so many... Um, pull up threes up that shooting them at average vol average efficiency makes him insanely efficient so um yeah fun stat that i just saw and just sort of thinking about how these teams are constructed and the players on those teams love it last thoughts kyle don't tell people who you're gonna draft like i did kyle will always give it away if you just keep asking questions jalen lost thoughts not true. I got De'Aaron Fox last year. Yeah, it was one secret. It was one secret. He did one. You with always, that. you always hold on to one. You hold on to the big one. So, what's your one secret this year, Kyle? <laughs> You'll find out. Um, I have no big secrets. Uh, I'm Team Lamelo. Uh, see you in the NBA soon. I hope. We'll be back next week with another division, and we are now turning off the phantom power. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>